1: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today I'm excited. We got the part two of the future of Kelowna real estate, and we've got James Moore. He's a long-range planning manager at the city of Kelowna. Today's episode does not disappoint. That is for sure. This is the the
2: bookend, right? This is the part two. You don't want to listen to this, although you could. This is a standalone episode, but I think we conceptually- formulated this as a two-part series. you want to go back and listen. The first ever. uh, Yeah, the first ever, but you want to go back and listen to CEO of Mission Group, Jonathan Friesen, last week. Tons of positive feedback, tons of positive feedback from Kelowna. Yeah. Uh, That was a great talk. And this week we have James Moore from the city, very thoughtful guy. And these two episodes together, I think really, they they suggest two things to me. One, Kelowna is a very forward-thinking city. They understand exactly where they're at and what they have to do. And it's kind of an interesting moment. And two... Talk about an exciting time in Kelowna. It's sure. it's crazy how fast that city is changing
1: and James speaks to that and how they're dealing with it. It's an exciting talk. I'm excited about this two-part series for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of people in Vancouver and the rest of BC are kind of monitoring Kelowna. It's very much a, a hot topic of conversation right. for just um, you know, up and coming cities, I think in just BC in general and in Canada in general. Um, but I'm also excited about this because the rep community is seemingly quite large in Kelowna, which was a bit surprising. But right. we had so many people reach out and thank us for uh, for covering Kelowna. And this two-part series, I think, is uh, is really something that I we should, should consider doing annually.
2: Yeah, it's just another
1: feather in our hat. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, though, is that it, it, I think we should cover, I think we should cover, I would, we might even do this for Victoria. You know what? I, there's
2: worse ideas out there. Yeah. I, I, I would say Kelowna, Victoria, these are... Really interesting cities, interesting for investors, uh, but also end users. There's also just almost academically, Kelowna's in- interesting model because you don't want to say, okay, this is you know this is where Vancouver was at this moment. But it does feel like, as Jonathan Friesen said last week, they are on the downward. They're gaining momentum here at a very right. good clip, and and like James says this week there's a window in which they can deal with some of the issues that are inevitably going to come out of their own success. Right. And they're doing it right
1: now and they're being bold and it's a very exciting city to watch. And this is an interesting part of our conversation is talking about and and this is actually just an interesting conversation in real estate, is right. we, we tend to always ask people, is there a city that you're using for inspiration? And then also, we often use the lens of Vancouver to try and understand well, you other heard markets. Well, you hear it in this conversation, right? You do. We you basically
2: do. overlay Vancouver onto Kelowna and try to figure out, where's Killarney?
1: Yeah, <laughs> where's Killarney? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're looking for the Killarney. <laughs> um, but we didn't ask him that, actually. <laughs> no offense to Killarney, but- <laughs> I don't know if you are looking for Calarney, <laughs> but um, here's the thing, though, that's interesting about the overlaying is it's not a super useful way to understand a city. And and one of the things last week that developer John Friesen suggested is that, you know, Kelowna is creating an identity of its own, right? And, and it, how useful is it to look at other cities well, or to- and you can
2: of. tell you know when I mentioned to James that I love their seawall he pointed out it's not a sea, it's a lake yeah right he also they-
1: pointed out that it's not called the seawall <laughs> and that you're you're coming from this uh, what what would you even call it? A Vancouver-centric position? Yes.
2: Yes, I think so. So we're definitely using a Vancouver lens, but the last thing to bring Kelowna and Vancouver back in the conversation again is they are using Vancouver, but in some ways they're using Vancouver as a cautionary tale. Right. It, It does feel like they're in a moment um where they're set for kind of explosive growth or going through a period of explosive growth and they're looking at some of the housing challenges we have and they're being bold to make sure that corona right. doesn't have the same issues and it's really interesting i mean james says they have a they have a what he conceives of as as a short window here to deal with it yep. and it's just just a really interesting conversation all all
1: things considered some of the things that they're trying to do is one uh similar themes to vancouver uh, that come up in this conversation: affordability, right? Density, making Kelowna a very livable city. Um, trying to navigate all these things with with the population basically exploding over the next ten years. Population is set to more than double in the next ten years right. in in Kelowna. And you can think about immigration increasing in Canada overall. A lot of people are going to want to start their lives in a place like Kelowna. No kidding. No, the future's the future's bright. Uh,
2: I think if anything has come from these two conversations, it's the future is almost too bright. They're, uh, they're having trouble.
1: Put your shades on, Kelowna. <laughs>
2: yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but anyway, Adam, before we, uh, we get to this great conversation with James, uh, there's a few things we want to cover. One is this week we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. If you want to hear from Michael Morgan and the gang. This is a great brokerage to be at, and you get a huge incentive by heading over to oakland.com slash join and type in VRP2020. This is, of course, for new agents, aspiring agents, somebody just looking to make a change, looking for some reinvigoration in their business. I think uh, Oakland is the spot for you.
1: And what else do we got- Adam. Well, There's Matt, a few we should mention just before we cut to the interview, we do still have the listings incentive going on for the spring. Sell your home for top dollar in the shortest amount of time with the Scalina brothers. And I just want to say, this is the time to list. If you are thinking about listing here, this is absolutely the time to list. Well, you know what? There's
2: the the spring market is the busiest market of the year. We've talked about this in the past. I always, and this might be because I have a nine-year-old, but I don't think so. There's a early spring where you hit spring break, like the school spring break. And right. then there's the late spring. Uh, we are in the first day of the late spring. Yeah. You don't want to miss the spring market. Now is the time. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up today. We
1: do have that incentive running for the spring
2: 2021. Or if you have a
1: family member or friend, feel free to make an introduction. We have an incentive for you as well. So do get in touch. And Matt, without further ado, let's cut to our interview with James Moore. Fantastic conversation. I hope everyone enjoys. Okay, so we're here with James Moore, long-range planning manager at the city of Kelowna. How you doing, James?
2: Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, James,
1: for taking the time today. My pleasure. So, James, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. I'm the city's long-range planning manager. I have worked for the city of Kelowna for about 10 years now, born and raised in Kelowna, but certainly have lived in Vancouver and other provinces as well and enjoying being back in the city in a very interesting time to be a planner in the city of Kelowna.
2: You know, Adam and I have been talking a lot about Kelowna on the show, and... We spent a decent amount of time there, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Our grandparents lived in Kelowna. So, you know, you'd come and visit in the summer. I was back there last weekend. The difference is kind of shocking, even from, say, five years ago. It must be strange for you to be kind of a born and bred, uh, I'm not even sure how you Kelowna-ite, say it. Kelownaite. Kelownaite? Is that, what, is that correct? <laughs>
3: We're it still learning a this. night Colonian? I don't know. K-Town
2: Night? Uh, a Colonian, though, and just see the kind of changes that the city's
1: underwent.
3: You know, I reflect on that a fair bit. It's always amazing for me to see, even year over year, the change in the city that I grew up in. You know, my parents moved here. It was a small town, and it's really changing. into something with a clear, kind of exciting downtown. Other centers are emerging, its identity is shifting from that kind of young, small town that really just attracted people in the summer to a really a more mature place that, you know, retains students, that has a great student population, great university, great educational institutions, a more robust, broad-based economy. And, you know, it certainly is getting people's attention across Canada and internationally.
2: So... James, you guys recently released the Kelowna annual housing report. Kelowna, of course, had a big last year, a big year, kind of positive economic growth and population growth during COVID, which is interesting. But can we talk about what's going on in Kelowna, the context, just more generally?
3: Sure. We always like to start off these reports by painting a bit of a picture of where Kelowna sits, you know, both provincially and nationally and in terms of the economy and population growth. And you know, if you had asked me a year ago what I would think was going to happen as the pandemic kind of took hold, it would have been the exact opposite of what's happened. I would have expected a slowdown in population growth as immigration curtailed. I would have expected a decline in housing activity and probably lowering prices and increasing vacancy rates in the rental market. And instead, we got the exact opposite. Certainly, Kelowna seems to have benefited from this kind of national phenomenon of people, some people choosing to leave larger centers and take that opportunity to move to smaller centers. And Kelowna seems to have that kind of right balance and of right mix of access to larger centers and amenities that are attractive for people making that move. And, you know, combine that with a robust kind of development industry here has allowed our economy to be a bit more resilient than in some other places, and our population growth to actually accelerate during a global pandemic. Certainly not where I thought I would be a year ago today.
2: And it kind of speaks to, you know, at least a lot of people's idea of Kelowna in the past, right, as kind of a resort town. You would think you'd just get hammered, and yet it was just the opposite,
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a great point. You know, if there is one way I think to characterize the big shift in Kelowna in the past couple of generations, it's no longer a resort town. It's no longer that just come for the beaches. It's, it's a maturing urban center and it's now kind of the, you know, outside of the lower mainland and the Island is certainly the most kind of robust, diverse, vibrant city beyond the in DC, beyond the lower mainland and the Island.
2: Right. And before we get into just another thing that struck me from your response about COVID here, before we kind of dig into the report any further, so you're the long range planner at the city of Kelowna. I'm just curious what the future holds, but also kind of the process, right? Because one thing that struck me there was with the onset of COVID, the exact opposite of what you expected happened. So how do you guys go about coming up with projections for the future and basically planning goals to meet those expectations?
3: That's a great question. And I would say we go about setting projections with a grain of salt. And <laughs> our overall approach has shifted from, from this notion of kind of a reliable, clear sense of exactly how the future is going to play out to being much more kind of flexible, I would say, and making sure that the direction we move in can shift relatively quickly. So, you know, we've tried to pull back from being extremely reliant on specific projections and be more goal oriented and be more look at kind of creating the city that citizens really want. And that can happen a number of different ways. It's not always one specific route is the only way to get there. So we try and be a little more flexible in our approach and allow a little more flexibility in things like housing forms and kind of development approaches than what you might have found previously.
1: Right, right. And so, James, in in thinking like we had your colleague Ross soured on the program not long ago, about a year ago. Right. And one of the things that was kind of shocking during that interview was when Ross explained that one of the projections was that the population would more than double in size in the next decade. Is that still what you're thinking, or does it seem like the city's growing actually even at a faster clip than that projection?
3: I would say at this point, yes, it does seem like it's growing faster. You know, we can get hung up on kind of in the next 20 years, is it going to be 45,000 new residents or 55,000 new residents or 37,500 or whatever specific number is going to be. But I can guarantee you one thing, we're going to be wrong. We don't know exactly what that number is going to be. And it's not really the most important factor. It's really setting the long-term vision for what the city is going to be. And what kind of city we want and how we want to accommodate those people, whether there are, you know, 40,000 or 55,000. We'll have lots of time to adjust as we go, but we need to have that big picture vision there. We need to have a clear path for how that's going to happen and what kind of city we're going to be when those people get here.
1: Can we maybe talk about some of those goals and what Kelowna hopes to be moving forward?
3: Sure, yeah, yeah. I think we've got, you know, we're in the middle of our, or we're not in the middle, we're, we're heading towards the end of our OCP review process, or OCP update process. So we're getting ready, we're just wrapping up our last phase of public engagement actually on our draft community plan out to 2040.
2: Right, and we should say that's and an official community plan for anyone that doesn't get the reference, but sorry, continue.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's something that I think Vancouver is working towards as well, but is a kind of standard planning document for most cities outside of Vancouver and that's our long-range plan for land use up to 2040. So that is wrapping up now and that's kind of coming on the heels of a really big robust public engagement process about the future of the city that we did back in 2016 called Imagine Kelowna and that was really the big picture future visioning of what kind of community you want to build as we grow and certainly when it relates to housing and transportation, it's going to be about, you know, shifting our, our modes where we can towards more sustainable modes of transportation, supporting that with really important shifts in land use towards transit supportive corridors and dense urban centers. And then a really major kind of shift would be a significant reliance on infill housing in a large segment of the city to supply a lot of that kind of missing middle ground-oriented housing that we talk so much about.
2: Right. And that sounds like ground-oriented housing is where the demand lies for the most part. Is it, Do I understand that correctly in terms of what people are looking for in terms of housing in Kelowna?
3: That's a, an interesting question. And I think it's still up in the air. We've seen in, you know, if you'd come here, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, and you looked at the kind of housing preferences of buyers and colony, you'd find a real dominance of single family. And that has drastically shifted, I would say, over the past 10 years and quite consistently towards a greater proportion of multifamily. And that took a bit of a step back. I would say during the COVID year, multifamily still was very strong and performed really well, but, Over 2020, certainly ground-oriented housing, single-family and townhomes and other forms of ground-oriented outperformed the expectation and led the way. So I'd say, yes, in the 2020 year, ground-oriented certainly led the way, but led the way in a generally strong market for everybody. And in the long term, I think we're seeing that trend maybe not holding up quite as much as people might predict. I think there's a tendency to want to say that there was this permanent shift that's happened where now everybody wants to abandon apartments and abandon downtown, and abandon any kind of density and move all towards owning detached homes in the burbs. And I don't think we see that holding up in the long term. We're looking at our kind of short term projections for what we have in stream for development, and it's still very kind of dominated by multifamily. So I think we'll end up seeing a year of strength for ground oriented, which is, but probably set in a broader context of ongoing strength for multi in the long run for Kelowna.
2: As I understand that the plan moving forward in Kelowna is building up, not out.
3: I actually would say that's probably not a perfect characterization of it. I'd rather say, because I think that what that misses is this whole question of the missing middle. And I think, you know, the up not out notions has some validity in that we're not one of the big shifts in our growth plan is that we're not really looking at planning any new suburban neighborhoods for the first time in long-range planning history. We're focusing on growing where we already have developed. And certainly in some places that's up in towers, but in other places that's just densifying the neighborhoods we have in more sensitive ways, whether that's, you know, carriage homes and suites and, duplexes and lot splits, anything up to houseplexes and and townhomes. So I think there's a lot that gets missed in this up-not-out kind of analogy. It works in some ways, but there's a lot in the middle there that we're really trying to make sure we get in this OCP, that we hit the missing middle and that it's not lost in this. We're not growing out, so everybody just moved downtown into a tower. It's providing a full range of housing needs within our existing developed areas.
1: Can we talk about maybe some of the ways you're approaching growth? Like, is there a model that you're looking at or are there other cities that you use for inspiration for how to grow?
3: I would say the planning world is always kind of looking at what's going on in other cities and whether that's cities in the mainland or an the island or in other parts of Canada. So it would depend a little bit on different strategies that we're taking. There isn't any kind of clear blueprint that we've taken from any single city we've certainly been inspired by many cities across Canada in different parts of our plan. And then that always gets kind of mixed in with how do we make that work in the Kelowna context and also mixed with a bunch of feedback and ideas that come to us from our development community, from our residents about what they want Kelowna to look like in the future. So, you know, there are lots of ideas that we take from places like Vancouver, like Victoria and others but they're always mixed in with a bit of, how do we do this in Kelowna? And I'd say one of the areas that, that we'll be likely continuing to kind of lead on is the infill discussion, where I think we've stepped out ahead of many Canadian cities in that front. And I'm hopeful that we'll continue that kind of leadership. And we're looking at embracing a more of a corridor approach, which is inspired by many different cities, both in Lower Mainland and across Canada. So... I think there are lots of different places that we look to, but they're always grounded in how do we make this work locally in a way that will resonate with our residents and in a way that is kind of relevant for our context.
1: And just so I'm understanding, so the corridor approach, so it sounds almost like main arterials will probably be built multifamily, and it sounds like maybe a certain areas maybe close to the city core might be There might be opportunities for laneway homes or, I guess, carriage homes in Kelowna or small fourplexes. Is that correct in saying that?
3: Yeah, I think if you were going to look at dense town centres, we have five of them. They'd be connected with a number of corridors along our arterial roads that are supported by transit. And those corridors would be, we would see kind of low-rise apartments fronting those corridors. And then much of our, what we would call our core area, which is kind of the more established, developed part of Kelowna in the the flats, we would be looking for a lot of housing diversity, whether that's carriage homes and suites that we already allow in many of those places, or houseplexes, or townhomes, those kinds of things. we start to see a lot more in those established residential neighborhoods to provide places for, for those neighborhoods to bring new life to those neighborhoods, to provide places for people to live in the future without Having to focus just on downtown development or just on suburban development.
2: You know, one thing that we've watched in Vancouver, say in the last decade, especially, it seems, is significant growing pains and the politics of that and what that looks like. And, you know, not in my backyard folks versus uh, abundant housing folks and that type of thing. You know, I know you're talking about community consultation and kind of robust process. I'm curious to hear about how the city's kind of transitioned over the last number of years from, you know, a sleepier place than it is today for sure. But what that process has looked like and what growing pains exist if they do exist.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, living in Kelowna, we get in some ways to observe what's going on in places like Vancouver from afar, and it provides both many wonderful kind of sources of inspiration and some cautionary tales right. as well. And I think the public dialogue around housing, Vancouver is a really difficult position in that respect, and Kelowna is not there. You know, yes, are there tough debates about housing in some instances? Yes, for sure there are. But overall, the kinds of debates that you'd see in Vancouver to support or around a single housing development just don't really happen here to the same extent. And I think from my angle on this, that's probably a matter of time in Kelowna. And if we look at as development starts to take place more and more in people's established neighborhoods, if that comes down to requiring a rezoning every step of the way and making that process subject to public review every time for the addition of every couple of units. I imagine that the future of housing in Kelowna will not be all that dissimilar from where housing debate is today in Vancouver. But having said that, we're not there. And we have an opportunity through this OCP and through future housing initiatives to try and avoid that and sidestep that kind of toxic dialogue that can exist around housing in some of these communities. So I think that's where we're hoping to be able to make a big difference in Kelowna's future so that we can avoid that particular downside of the housing dialogue in the lower mainland.
1: James, you mentioned five kind of hubs that the city's kind of monitoring and planning for quite aggressively. Can you talk maybe about those five hubs, but also about which sub-area in the Kelowna region you're most excited about?
3: we have five urban centers and they're each at varying levels of maturity. And you might, if you were traveling through Oklahoma, you might be able to identify a couple of them, but you might not be able to really see some yet in the way that we see them in the future. So we've got things like our downtown, which I think is pretty easily identifiable. We've got a couple of other more mature urban centers like our South Pando and Rutland urban centers. and They're also identifiable, but others are kind of emerging. So like our highway corridor, And we probably won't see those fully formed for another 20, 30, 40 years. But they're areas with significant concentrations of employment, with lots of potential. So I think over the next 5, 10, 20 years, we will see the continued evolution of our and build out of our downtown and of our other urban centers. And that's where we'll be focusing a lot of our investment on the public side to support those who are going to live there with amenities that they need to create a high quality of life. But there are lots of other areas around there growing in really interesting ways. And I think there are lots to pick from. I'd say one of the ones that is always most interesting to me is what we call our North End. And that's kind of a formerly and still an industrial area used to be the end of the rail line, a location where a lot of sawmills and heavier industrial production used to take place, but the rail line has gone and the kind of modus operandi for the industrial in the area has shifted towards the highway and other forms of industrial development. And as that's happened, it's been colonized by breweries and distilleries and wineries and other amenities. And it's growing as a more attractive, vibrant kind of industrial light areas, an area with, with lots of, interesting things happening. And as those industrial uses start to shift, I think it will be a very engaging area to see change over time. And one of those questions of as an area changes, can you really make shine what people love about the area and keep that really, you know, that really sensitive balance that too much planning can ruin and that too much redevelopment can ruin. So how do you manage growth in these evolving industrial areas that really fine-grained balance that exists and really makes it sing rather than, than easily kind of undermining it.
2: I was just in, well, both of us were in Kelowna at different moments over the last month or so, and one thing that I was thinking in that, I visited a couple of those breweries, and yeah, it's a phenomenal area, and you look at like developments, say, like One Water right there, that feels very much like Yale Town in Vancouver, and then you think of Yale Town's history, and immediately I was thinking, okay, I wonder what the future of this north section of the
1: downtown. Just uh, to be clear, are we talking like Clement, kind of Clement
3: and Richter kind of area? Is that
2: yeah, B and A Brewery, and then north of there?
3: Yeah, you, you kind of like. I always call. It, you know, people have different ideas of what the north end is, and I always call it. For me, it's always north of Clement.
2: North okay. So yeah, right. Cause I was going to say, I think of it in terms of breweries uh, along that path, but, uh, <laughs> but you start at b and then you go north Matt's from there. Whole life <laughs> is marked by breweries. <laughs> <laughs> but one, one thing I was thinking there is this seems like it has the potential of what Yaletown was in the eighties, right? In Vancouver. Yeah. But it sounds like, is that the way you guys potentially are thinking of that area, or is it more light industrial, kind of funky, that type of future, or a little bit of both?
3: It, you know, it's a really good question. I don't know that I have an answer for you yet. There's some work needs to be done on that front. We still have some really important industrial production that's happening down there, and I think we know that on the one hand, industrial land in Colorado is really, really valuable and in short supply, and we want to protect that industrial land as much as we can. But we also know that the nature of industrial is shifting. Right. And what made sense 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago from an industrial perspective, doesn't really make sense in the same locations anymore. So I think it's gonna be about how do we manage this shift over a long time and kind of gently nudge it in a way that can achieve our, you know, the community's broader objectives, whether that is a Yale Town objective or really just kind of a great mixed brewery district but it's going to be about how can we gently nudge it along that trajectory and be very cautious, you know, in these kind of sensitive areas. If you go too much one way or another, you can end up in a very different place. It doesn't take much to completely upset the apple cart and to shift the balance very quickly. So I think it's a really fascinating area to think about as a planner and an area that I think people are really engaged in and really enjoying and, one of those kind of organic areas that are always really wonderful to see happen, and you hope that you can shape them instead of kind of over planning them.
2: Just thinking about, I guess we've kind of covered this. I just want to take a bit of a step back, and because it's always interesting to me to see a place like Kelowna where suddenly it just seems to be. It's like a moment, right, in the city's history that where it seems to suddenly be on everybody's radar, everybody seems to be talking about it. And COVID seems to have, you know, been, been probably in well, I shouldn't say that positive, but Cologne has weathered COVID in a real positive way. Broadly speaking, like broader than, say, the last year, why do you think Cologne is so popular right now? What are the kind of larger factors that have led to this moment?
3: that's a great question. I'm, I'm not sure that i will be able to answer it perfectly or that I have every angle of that. I'm sure there are lots of different kind of intangibles that are coming to play. A lot of decisions that were made a long time ago that sometimes kind of take shape and uh, we don't really see the benefits of for a long time. It's always interesting. You, you think in, you know, planning exists in gray areas and you make a decision with an intended outcome. And it usually has about 10 or 20 unintended outcomes. So, you know, It's hard to trace back any, you know, what's going on around Kelowna down to one or two specific things. But I think certainly the growth in the airport, in our educational institutions, has shifted the city's image and the city's ability to attract talent. It's really benefiting from this kind of amenity-driven migration of people looking for a certain quality of life, that Kelowna can offer, but also that right mix. Like it's got to have that quality of life people want, but also the access to employment, but also the right kind of urban amenities that people want. It's got to have enough stuff to get people to want to spend time here and want to see themselves living here. And I think Kelowna has hit the right mix of that. And it's hit a time in its life where it's able to kind of offer the right combination of things for people to make it attractive for them. So, you know, yes, jobs, yes, access to transportation links like the airport and, and others, but also, you know, the amenities that have always made Kelowna a really attractive place like skiing and beaches and lakes and wineries and, and the culinary scene and those kinds of things mixed with just more amenities and more access to, to opportunity that is here now it wasn't when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. when I grew up, when I went to high school here, most people left, Right. you know, including myself. We all went to university elsewhere. Left, it was the idea that, you know, I can't wait to live somewhere else. And I think now a lot of us have come back and we're also not seeing that kind of same attitude with a big shift now where people coming out of high school are staying. And they're going to local educational institutions, and they're staying after that, and they're working their way into good jobs here locally. So I think it's a lot of factors, but I think it has Kona kind of finally offering that kind of right mix of access to broader markets, to jobs, to mix with the right quality of life that people are really looking for. Mm-hmm
2: obviously, and we've talked about it already, but people staying and people coming, right? Like I'm looking at the charts here of the vacancy rate over the last 10 years and it was over 3% up until about 2012. And then the graph just points in a downward direction, right? Like the vacancy rates are super low. The rents move in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a busy place.
3: That's a bit of an undersold part of of this equation that we talk a lot about the housing market, But the rental market has also been outstanding in terms of, in some ways outstanding probably for rental investors, but also, you know, really robust demand for rental despite, you know, historic investments in rental housing. Right.
1: You know, it makes me think of Matt's comment when he came back from Kelowna was that everybody he met in the city was from somewhere else. Well. Yeah, and I should say, like we sat at a lot of bars, and
2: it seemed like people were or either, restaurants, right? Yeah, like, but people, like we were talking to people, well, at the bar in restaurants, even for dinner, because actually, good restaurants there, even Sunday nights, Monday nights are jam packed. Right, it was really uh, surprising. Yeah, people either... I'm
3: getting a clear sense of what you guys do when you come on your trips here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a much needed uh, couple days break. But uh, when I was there, people either had moved from Fort McMurray or one guy uh, was just back from years away from Kelowna, but he grew up there. It seemed like everybody either had just moved back or had just moved in the last five, eight months to Kelowna. That was my sense, at least. Right, right. Coupled with the Level of construction, which in the single family market, but also downtown, obviously, like the towers going up all over the place. It's like, man, there's a lot going on here.
3: Yeah, it's definitely a fascinating place. I certainly can echo the comments of most people not being from here. You know, when occasionally you get asked where you're from, and I say, "Kelowna," people are like, "Whoa, whoa you're one of the only people I've met who says they were <laughs> they're born in Kelowna." We're turning into a, a rare breed. But it's exciting to be part of a city that's attracted people and that I think people want to live in and people want to stay in. And it's nice to know that now that I have a family, that my child will hopefully want to, will have the opportunity at least to stay here if they want to.
2: Right. You know, maybe a final question, James, especially uh, in your position as a long range planner, what are the major risks you see to a city like Kelowna? One that comes to mind, obviously, is potential environmental challenges. But what are your thoughts on the the main risks that Kelowna faces?
3: You know, this might come from a bit of a bias of where my focus is in a lot of my work. But I would say probably the biggest risk to Kelowna's long-term success is housing affordability. And I think that plays into its ability to attract people from other places so that they can afford to live here back to people Growing up here, being able to afford to stay here if they want to stay here. And our ability just to be a really diverse, vibrant place is going to be lost if we can't get a handle on how to deal with providing housing that people actually can afford to live in. And, you know, when we see prices going the way they're going, there's a real kind of challenge here that the city is going to be facing. And, you know, a future we'd like to avoid.
2: It's funny, you know, a lot of the comments, obviously, we're in Vancouver, but it makes us, I think, both think of Vancouver and Kelowna, when both of us have been there, seems like, oh, yeah, you can see kind of, you know, some of the same trajectories. But in a lot of ways, potentially the biggest risk is being a victim of your own success, right? And especially even from a planning perspective, the hotel we stayed at had these Cruiser bikes that we spent riding around on well defined bike lanes and the kind of seawall there. Uh, that I don't know if it's called the seawall, but the thing definitely not. Right? Yeah, yeah. not. <laughs> there is no Matt. On a lake. <laughs> Matt
3: that only
1: field. refers to Kelowna in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah.
3: and like then I, was I went in the to Yale town, yeah. then
2: I went down your seawall. <laughs> <laughs> I went to your cactus club. Yeah. Uh, but I uh, and actually, there, was a,
3: there was a Stanley Park like thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the
2: I guess the the larger point is you guys seem to be doing uh, hitting it out of the park and, and that's probably going to be the biggest challenge to overcome is to somehow and probably better than Vancouver's done figure out a way to get that affordability in that and deal with the demand
1: to live there
3: for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I think manage the kind of impact of the Vancouver buyer who's maybe coming out of a 2 or 3 million dollar home that they've built up equity in and can jump into our market relatively easily. But that's not something a local buyer can do. And so managing that in the in the long run is going to be critical. And, you know, it's interesting. You can look back and see, and you could say, okay, well, you know, Vancouver's suffering heavily from major affordability challenges. And, you know, hopefully we can sidestep those. And that's certainly our intention is trying to sidestep those. But, you know, there's no surefire, there's no silver bullet solution to that. And, you know, I'm sure every step that we take and every solution we look for will have unintended consequences of its own. So it's certainly a complex world, but I'd say one that I think I'm thrilled to be able to be part of and be able to help influence, hopefully in a way that when I retire and my family is here, they'll be able to, I'll be able to look back and say, I helped create a Kelowna that people can stay in, people can continue to live in, people can continue to enjoy. And it isn't just a, destination that only wealthy people from other communities can afford to live.
1: Right on. That's great. So, James, we do have this segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions and a few about Kelowna. Can you stick around for that? You bet. Okay. So question number one, what is your favorite neighborhood in Kelowna?
3: I'm going to have to go with where I grew up in uh, Hall Road.
2: Which part of Kelowna is that? And which part of Vancouver does it resemble? (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a really unique little neighborhood that is nestled in nature, but located very close to a lot of amenities. So right near Mission Creek in Southeast Coloma.
1: Okay, perfect. Favorite bar
2: or restaurant?
3: Gosh, you're getting me rusty because I haven't been out. You With know, <laughs> it COVID, I haven't been out. For, uh, get me out of the house, it's hard to know where I would, where I would go. Right. I would say probably... Home block at Cedar Creek Winery. Well, that's a good one. I haven't been there. A must do and a must see winery, too. Nice. Right on.
1: Whereabouts, roughly, is that?
3: Kind of near the end of the Lakeshore Road corridor.
1: Okay. Oh, nice. What is one book that you'd recommend everybody read?
3: Oh, gosh. You got me in the, the book question, too. <laughs> The only good thing uh, I was going to say. <laughs> just wait. Recommend that everybody read. Hmm.
2: Doesn't have to be a planning book.
3: Yeah, let's hope it's not a planning book, actually. <laughs> I did just finish A Promised Land by Barack Obama, and I'd say it's certainly worth an effort right. if, you're, if you're interested in that angle.
2: He just got elected. No spoilers here, but I'm kind of 200 pages into that (laughs) one. And it's, uh, (laughs) no, it's it's, 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 uh, it's great. So far, it's really great. Although I did read also the um, detailed description of getting Obamacare passed in the New Yorker before it came out and it seemed a little wonky. So I'm hoping it doesn't go too
1: far in that direction, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. One piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self.
3: Take more risks.
1: Okay, and
2: last but not least, one thing you have bought for under $1,000 in the last couple years that has transformed your life in a positive way?
3: Well, I'm going to go with one of two appliances, (laughs) because in COVID, you're loving your kitchen appliances. Right. So I'm going to go with my uh, trusty Instant Pot or Uh, my uh, Nespresso Maker.
1: Oh, that's... Both are Instapod has actually been. I think that's
2: been a COVID. uh, COVID
1: has led to that more than once. Uh, Thought you were going to do your sourdough bread mixer, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) yeah, that's uh, (laughs) that's great actually. And then and so is that like the Nespresso? That's like the the pucks. No, you don't have to do use the pods in that. The pods, yeah, the pods. Yeah, and fully recyclable
3: aluminum pods that make great coffee. Nice. Other than that, I always say the thing that has always transformed my life the most in terms of things around a thousand bucks is a bicycle, and if I can get anybody to on a bike, I will. It's a great way to commute, a great way to experience a place, and uh, a great way to stay healthy.
1: That's great. Yeah, ben. no I'm kidding. Just, you know, having spoken to a few people at the city of Kelowna, they're managing to get amazing talent in their planning department. And it's clear why the city's having so much success after talking to you and Ross. So we appreciate you coming on the program. And how can people find out more about what you guys are up to, the reports you're releasing?
3: Yeah, well, I would certainly encourage people to follow the city on social media whether it's Twitter or Facebook. And we are just wrapping up our last phase of public engagement on the OCP on our 2040 community plan. So the links are available on the city's website for that. Our annual housing report is also available online, and there'll be links to that coming out through our social media posts. So I encourage people to check out Kelowna.ca, follow us on social media, and you'll get the connections you need.
2: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again for your time, Yeah, pleasure.
3: Anytime. Take care.
2: So there you have it,
1: folks, our discussion with long range planner from the city of Kelowna, James Moore. Really enjoyed that conversation with James, uh, Matt. And uh, you know what? It's interesting. We've had Ross soured on the show before. Right. Um, Now we've had James Moore on the program. Uh, I dare say Kelowna has some of the most progressive, interesting urban planners in, I'm going to say, Canada.
2: I'm going to say North America.
1: I'm, I'm, we don't
2: actually have clue clue. We don't have a clue. We only know Vancouver guys. planners and, and, <laughs> and only a planners. few of them. But uh one thing's for sure, a uh, very impressive group at the City of Kelowna for sure. Yes. And it's a moment there for sure that needs to be seized and uh they're in the, their incapable hands.
1: Yeah, and if anyone ever captured it, I think it was this two part series. And I think we'll have to do another one of these. Uh this might be a new annual thing on uh on on V Rep.
2: It's a it's a market to watch for sure. It's a city to watch. Uh and I, I would guess this isn't the last time we're talking about Kelowna. No. Nope. That is for sure. For sure. But what else do we have, Adam, before we go today? There's a few things. One Vancouver real dot com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to vancouver real dot com where you can sign up to things like the live wire. This is our weekly newsletter, deal of the month, stats that you can't get anywhere else, stats that no one else has and before anyone else. We
1: also have. Private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market, basically realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best way to search real estate in Vancouver. And I got to say, they just did a huge overhaul on uh, PCS. I don't even think it's services. called private client services. It's, it's, anyway, a, it? it's called exposure now. Right. It's always going to be PCS here. I at the can't podcast, imagine. I was thinking until about that. we get served with uh, a <laughs> cease, cease and desist. But um, honestly, though, uh, the, the facelift is great. And one of the things that we can now do is I believe we can set you up on interboard searches, which means we can probably set you up for listings to monitor markets like such, Kelowna. Such as Kelowna. So get in touch there. Absolutely.
2: You can get in touch at any point. Give me a shout, seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four, or Matt at
1: Vancouver dot com. Or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four, or Adam at Vancouver dot com. We also got that secret line, info at Vancouver Real dot com. It's another beautiful day out there, Matt, and if you're working from home, Get out and enjoy the sun. Uh, I think spring has fully sprung. S- that is that In is Vancouver. correct. That is correct. So enjoy the week, and we'll speak to you next week. Take care.
3: Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.